there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative types, I love to talk to them and find out what makes them tick, what keeps them going. Today, my guest is Brandon Stansel. He's a singer-songwriter. Um, he writes beautiful kind of country-flavored tunes. Um, his new album is called This Must Be The Place, and he's going to be performing in Los Angeles at Hotel Cafe on April 6th. I'm excited to go see his show. Um, he also had a documentary called Three Chords and a Lie, that played Outfest a couple years ago. I saw it then, and it's currently available on Amazon. Um, it's about his journey coming out, um, dealing with family issues, um, the church, and kind of finding his way. And it's and it's very touching and powerful. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Cadillac. Just kidding. It's not. It's just me. It's brought to you by me. Um, yeah, I do it. So there are two ways you can support it. If you like what you hear, you can go to dennisanyone.net slash support and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover my expenses. That's always nice. Or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. That's a group of shows that I'm part of. And for a monthly fee, you get my show early and you get all these other great shows. And you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here's the interview with Brandon Stansel. Joining me now from rainy Los Angeles, it's singer-songwriter Brandon Stansel. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, and we are drowning out here, so someone please make it stop. <laughs> I remember in the summer thinking to myself, I am never going to see rain again. Like, I thought it would <laughs> never rain here again. And I thought that might be true. And it right. uh, turns out not true. Not true at all. Right. Someone answered your yes. prayers. I caused this. Um, I've been a fan for, of yours for a few albums um, for, for a number of years, so I'm excited to be able to interview you. Um, I saw your documentary, um, Three Chords and a Lie, when it was playing at Outfest. I did not go to the drive-in thing, though. I watched it online. Um, it was in the height of the pandemic, but you guys made it happen. So, uh, And you're doing a show at the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles on April 6th. Um, I've seen a number of shows there. Have you played there before? I have. I love the space. Um, it's a great little venue right here in the heart of Hollywood. Um, and it'll be the first show that I've played this year. I've been laying low since, uh, the record came out last year and I toured it in the fall and, and, um, yeah, I've been kind of hiding out here, um, in, uh, in Los Angeles. So I'm excited to get out there and play. I, I love the space. I've played it several times before. It just feels like, feels like home to me. I love it. Well, I will be there. Um, the album is, uh, this must be the place. Um, and what was it like to go back on the road with it after the pandemic? Cause you did that like last year, right? What was it like to get back out there? It was incredible. I, you know, I, it had been a while since I had been on stage. And I remember we opened, uh, uh, opened the tour here in LA at this venue out in Venice called the Venice West. And I stood on that stage and it was just this surreal feeling, um, looking out into the crowd and seeing all these people for the first time. And I guess I just didn't know how much I had missed it until I got it back. And uh, it was an incredible night and then an incredible 10-city run. And, um, you know, I uh, I had a lot of fun and I got to meet a lot of incredible people and hear uh, a bunch of, you know, incredibly happy and sad stories along the way. And um, I just felt like this thing, this music that I had been making in my living room and um, with my producer in his studio in North Hollywood, this um, we had been making it with just our ears on it. And finally it went out into the world. And then to hear people sing it back to me um, was kind of a crazy 
experience, but pretty incredible. What was it like to record it during COVID? Were you working with your producer in separate places or did you guys kind of have a pod? Like how did that work? Yeah, we had a little bit of a pod between the two of us. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, he was really one of the only people that I saw and definitely the person I spent the most time with. So I told him what the, we had never worked together uh, before. And I said, we're either going to come out of this thing, best friends. You're never going to speak to me again. <laughs> yeah. And which one did those turn out to be this, the case? Uh, the the first, uh, thankfully he's uh, he's one of my favorite people. Um, What's his name? Uh, Julian Hoffman Beachgo produced this record. Uh, he and his uh, longtime uh, girlfriend just got married in, in on New Year's Eve, and I was so happy to be there. And they're just incredible people, both incredible um, <clears throat> musicians. And he's uh, he's my favorite producer I've ever worked with, and uh, really, really happy with how the record turned out. Mostly thanks to him. So, well, my favorite track is the pickup where we left off. It's got this kind of easy. It's not trying too hard. It's just like this. It's in the pocket. The lyrics are great, and it's just kind of like a vibe, right? And you you shot this cool video in Joshua Tree. Was that based on a real experience, the, the story of that song? No, um, it was just, I think it was a collective experience, right? Because uh, I've, it was kind of this, the idea was that these people met, and then all of a sudden the world sh- you know shuts down, and they can't see each other anymore. Right. And everything. Just stuck in their houses by themselves. You're doing puzzles. Uh, I did so many puzzles during the pandemic. Are you into puzzles or were you just acting for the video? I can't say that I'm into puzzles. You're living I'll a do... lie. You're living a lie. <laughs> I'll do a puzzle if there's one sitting in front of me, right. but I don't actively seek them. You're not on. Uh, you're not on uh, Amazon buying puzzles every third day like I was. Okay. No. All right. No. But um, yeah, that was. It was a really fun video to shoot, and I think. We, we tried to add these like little moments, uh, to it where people could relate, you know, and yeah. those like, you know, those moments in, uh, during quarantine where you're like, this is fun. I'm making myself a cocktail. I'm going to have a drink and have a night. And then those moments where you are go, uh, miss a missing puzzle piece is going to send you, yeah. uh, right over the edge. Um, so. We had a lot of fun shooting that thing, and I, I love the song. I wrote it with my uh, friend, uh, Mylan, who's written, co-written a bunch of my stuff over the years. He co-wrote Hometown and Slow Down and um, a bunch of things that, that I put out over the past few years. So uh, really love that song, too. Well, you have a cutie in the video with you, and I know you're a fan of Amy Grant. And my ideas of what I want a relationship to be are shaped by Amy Grant videos. I just, I, I think all I want is somebody to do the good for me video with me. I want to roll oranges across the floor. Um, I want. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. You're on board with that? I, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's all I've ever wanted. I, uh, I, I shot this thing, um, right at the beginnings of like putting out this record where I talk about how her heart and motion record really inspired the sound of this must be the place and, uh, just because uh, the whole thing kicks off with those big synth sounds. Yes, and, um, I uh, I had always been so drawn to that, but but so like rooted in country and never could figure out how to blend the two. And this is the first record where I finally married those um, very passionate pieces of my life. And uh, yeah, so really really happy that I finally got to do that. You got your Amy Amy Grant vibe. Yeah, <laughs> um, this is how deep my devotion goes i googled the model 
that was in those videos, he's still rocking it hard. And he's on my dream board. He's aging oh. very beautifully. I can't remember his name. We don't need names. It's more about a connection. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like within a year, I Googled that guy and he's still rocking it hard. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to do that. Or you're just going to have to send it I'll to send me. I'll send you pictures. I have pictures because he's on my dream board. I have, I have a collage. Um, Amy's super cool though, right? Super gay friendly. Yeah. Like, like she's like the best. Did you ever meet her? So I have met, I met her once when I was five. Right. And, um, I, I have a picture of us in my living room. And I think one of the, like a very funny adult moment was when someone came in and they were like, Oh, this is a cute picture. Is that your mom? <laughs> oh, and you're like, no, I was like, we, and that's when I knew we couldn't see. I don't even want to think. Yeah, I, I can't even think that way. That's going to break my brain. Yeah, I was like, I knew immediately that we could not be friends. I was like, that's Amy Grant. Get out of my house. Right. You're, you're gonna, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave. Um, yeah. Um, Galileo, no, an unsung gem from that album. Absolutely. I, but I, so I had met her as a, as a little kid. I, I have never met her as an adult. I've, uh, I played a show with her husband a few years ago in, uh, Nashville, a, a charity show, um, and definitely cornered him and, uh, probably scared him to death telling him <clears throat> how much I loved his wife. And it's, it's Vince Gill, right? <laughs> right. House of love. So, yeah. That was a moment. Oh. It was a moment we had. Yeah. Um, and I probably went up on like every, <laughs> all of their like internal stay away from this person board. <laughs> yeah, it's good though. It's good. Um, and there's another song about somebody you met during online dating and you, you spent time in Palm Springs and it did not go well. Um, no, it did not. Um, that song, I forget what the name of it is. Uh, good at the time. Good at the time. So you, you took yeah. a chance and you planned a rendezvous with someone you'd been dating online or chatting with online and not yeah and it didn't go well which you would expect right like don't do that everyone like have better sense than me no but um, you want to be hopeful you want to follow your heart you want to you know you want to throw behave, 16 the wind. years old yeah and then you look in the mirror and you realize you're 36 years old right you're not <laughs> so when, <laughs> stop behaving that way do the people um, but yeah. oh go ahead oh well, i was gonna say the 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 title of the song came from um and maybe I, I know other people say this, but um, when I was growing up, my dad used to always say this when it was something bad happened or he did something he regretted. He would always say, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Right. Um, so I, I do that occasionally when I, um, you know, uh, do um, things I regret. Yeah. Um, I thought it needed to be turned. This seemed like the perfect opportunity to turn it into a song. So it's pretty kitschy. It's fun. I like it. Um, and it definitely, you know, memorializes this really bad idea that I once had right. about rendezvousing with a strange man in Palm Springs. Right. <laughs> Do the people that you write about know? I would imagine sometimes and then sometimes not. Like, does that guy know there's right. a song? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to ask. Yeah, no. It sounds like it didn't go well enough to do that. What was the first song you ever wrote? Um, well, the first it's I can't remember the first song I ever wrote, but the first song that I ever wrote to record was um well my first EP, uh Dear John, and so that was the first that was the first song that I ever like wrote and recorded. Yeah. And uh what was it like to 
do that, to lay it down and think, oh, this is my, this is mine. I did this. I, a, a whole lot of emotions I had wanted to, I wanted to make music since I was a, 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 a kid. So, uh, you know, writing and producing your first record um, is this like, it feels like it's exciting. And it also feels like this big weight has been lifted off of your shoulders and like the gates have opened in a way because, I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure for artists to have their first project be like so perfect and like it to say everything they ever wanted to right. say as a musician. Like it's not a, a real thing. That's, um, and I just remember feeling like you just have to do this and you have to get it out the door and you just have to put it out and then you can like move on to the next thing. And like, it really did feel like it just was, it, it let the floodgates open and, you know, it gave me the confidence to know that I could do it. And, and, uh, you know, it was exciting to realize, you know, to try to figure out what was next and like, yeah, that's where it started. And, and, uh, my manager, uh, said the other day, he was like, it's, that's getting on 10 years ago, which is crazy to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never been more passionate about making music and, and, uh, and excited about what's to come next, but, but it all started there with that, you know, little EP that I'm still so proud of. Um, when did you get your first guitar? So I, I only ever played to write. Um, and I, I never like just played to, because I was a great guitar player. Right. Uh, I, I didn't, and I didn't start writing until I moved to California. You know, I went to school for music business and I've always been a singer and a, and a performer, but um, I didn't start making music of my own until I moved out here to the West Coast. And <clears throat> that's when I ended up buying my first guitar. And, uh, you know, I, I taught myself a few chords. And then um, actually my friend Julian came alongside me and made me a much better musician than I am or that I ever was. And, um, yeah, but it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been all that long. Uh, I watched your documentary again, Three Truths and a Lie, on Amazon uh, just last night. And you talk about moving from Tennessee to California and finding it a relief, like a, a, a good place to be. Um, and it reminded me, I interviewed Leslie Jordan a number of years ago, and I know you know Leslie. But he said when he got to California, he's like, there were queers hanging from the trees. Like, he was in heaven. Like, it, it represented freedom or something to him. And it reminded me a little bit of your story when I heard your story. It reminded me a little of that queers hanging from the trees what did you make of california when you first got here well i felt a lot of the same i was coming from manhattan so moving to california felt like a pleasure cruise um you know you can walk on the streets and not like physically be running into a thousand and one people but also i always tell people this was the first place that i i really did i ever had like queer friends you know that i like ran around with and like went to the bars and like hung out on the weekends and like talked about boys and like did all of those things that, you know, most people do in like their like early teens and twenties. Like, but I was so closeted then that obviously I skipped over all so of that. Missed and, it like, all. Yeah. Missed it all. And so moving out here felt like the first time I, I got to do that. And, um, I just fell into a really great community of people that, you know, both gay and straight and, and, but just everyone that is affirming and kind and encouraging and, I've always felt very grateful for that because I know that's not everyone's LA story, but it is mine. And I've, I've always, I've always felt um, like finding my people here has made this place uh, home. I love it. Um, I'm a fan of country music, especially the women of country. Uh, Trisha Yearwood is my number one, number one, oh, number yeah. one. I love her so much. Have you met her? Do you know her? Can we be friends? What's happening? So, 
Well, I met Trisha Yearwood at, when I was a dancer for Taylor uh, back on the Fearless tour. Oh, I have questions then. about the backup dancer dream, yeah. which you lived. We played, um, we played Oklahoma. Um, that's where they live, right? Oklahoma City. Um, we played their their town, and um, Garth Brooks and and uh, Trisha invited Taylor over for. I don't think I've ever told this story. Invited Taylor over for lunch and she grabbed a bunch of us to go with her. So we went to their compound in Oklahoma and we had lunch and met everyone and just sat there and shot the shit. And I got to talk to Trisha Yearwood over pizza. <laughs> I love her so much. I love the power of her voice. Those songs. Oh, it's, so, it's so good. Oh. We, uh, we got it about because she was... I was still uh, going to Belmont at the time. I was uh, I was in my senior year, and she was coming back that Christmas to play Christmas at Belmont. So we talked all about school and, um, you know, a bunch of... Did she cook? Because you know she's got the country kitchen. I think this was pre-cooking. Wow. This was 2009. Wow. So I think it was like, maybe she was just getting into that. But we did not talk about cooking. Um, and not that at all. But again, that was 2009, and I've had a lot of gin since then. So, so there's that. Um, <laughs> I am a Taylor fan. I'm Swifty. I've been following the news about the tour. And when I learned that you were a dancer on the Fearless Tour, I was like, that must have been a dream come true because you're a young guy and you're touring as a dancer. Was it? Or was it more complicated than that? What was it like? It was incredible. It was uh, – I have very uh, – like ambivalent feelings about that period in my life because it was 2009, 2010. <clears throat> I was 21, 22. Uh, I came out in the middle of the tour um, to everyone and talk about fearless. It was a lot. And so it was, um, I, you know, it was like most experiences where with your highest highs come your lowest lows. And um, I was, uh, you know, struggling with, um, trying to just make it through and honestly and the tour really really helped because i like i said i i've been a performer my whole life so being on stage is this life-giving thing yeah. for me um so it was definitely um a real high to go alongside some real lows of my life and uh, i've always felt very grateful for that and taylor's wonderful and and um it was a great couple years and um yeah i've i've, I've always um been very very thankful that i got to be a part of of, of that of that tour what was your favorite moment in the tour i know you guys had your love story elizabethan thing happening um, did um i don't know man it was we played so many shows um and it, it like i said we were on the road for for um a couple of years um but i i don't know i don't know if there's like one standout moment there it was just it was always crazy it was always like uh, a super high so um for like two years so i had to get out of there <laughs> it was too much it was too intense how many prayers how many prayer circles can one young uh young man take um, <laughs> i don't think we called them prayer circles i think they were just encouragement circles encouragement you know circles pre-show circles um but uh yeah no it was a it was a great thing i got to be part of yeah amazing i want to go see the eras tour but i'm i'm not a millionaire so we're gonna have to figure that out somehow <laughs> um there are certain tropes of country music and i feel like country singers might have to sing about them even though they're not that into it like do you like whiskey or do you have to so sometimes i think people are pretending to be into whiskey or trucks no i i 
I don't. Well, I'm going to go 50-50 on this. Okay. I love with and don't like trucks. So you're not going mean, to sing about a truck. You're not going to force yourself to sing about a truck. No. Um, I think that's always been the one of the great things about being an independent musician is that you don't have to write or sing about anything that you don't want right. to, uh, which is so nice. Uh, and I've always been able to do that and had the freedom to do that. Right. So I don't know what it's like to feel pressured to sing about things you don't want to sing about. Right. I just don't sing about See, you don't have that thing. Um, I'm a fan of Carrie Underwood, and I love Before He Cheats, but Carrie Underwood is not hitting a truck with a baseball bat. No. That is not no. her brand. But I love that song so much. But I'm like, oh, she's selling, she's selling it, but we know it's not, uh, she's not doing it. She's not doing it. Right. Lady Gaga saw- would beat the shit out of a truck if you got her oh, on yeah. a bad day. And I saw this meme years ago, and it was like, they almost got it all right, uh, but it was like, because... Uh, like two out of the three were like, oh, that's absolutely true. It was like, you break up with me. Like Taylor Swift will write a song about you. Carrie Underwood will destroy your car right. or your truck with a bat. Right. Miranda Lambert will set you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of it. And Trisha Yearwood's going to make you some muffins and send you on your way because she's, she's good. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. Um, I assume you know Shane McAnally or because uh, I read something with, that he said yesterday in an article and it struck me and I wanted to run it by you. Um, Hit me. He's a big singer song uh, songwriter in Nashville, hugely successful. I saw him and maybe met him when he was Shane Mack trying to make it as a gay singer songwriter in LA before he moved back to Nashville and blew up as a songwriter. But he's got this Broadway musical now called Shucked that he wrote with uh, Brandy Clark. And hmm. there was an article about the musical in the New York times. And it ended like this. They, they talked about how they were in Nashville and they have to find their group of misfit toys to feel like they fit in to find those people, but they're there if you find it. But he talked about the freedom of being able to write songs without restrictions, which he's finding on, on Broadway. And then the last quote of the article is why would I go back to Nashville? He asked. And I thought, wow, he's been so successful. And even he feels a little constrained. Um, I don't know. I was struck by that comment that like, who, you know, who's done better in that world lately? And and even he yeah. was like, why would I go back? I don't know. Any thoughts? I just, that's jumped out at me. I have a lot of thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I think anyone that's ever met me would tell you that I have a lot of we thoughts about a lot. Um, I know that feeling. Um, and I, and I think that coming out of the pandemic, um, they were even like more clarified to me is that, more than success and, you know, accolades and whatever that looks like for you, um, or chasing that dream. Like, um, I began to refocus myself to chase my own happiness. And when I realized that, um, I spent a month in Nashville there writing and, um, honestly kind of used it as a trial balloon to see if I wanted to live there, you know, be there again. Um, if I was disadvantaging myself living in Los Angeles versus be, you know, trying to pursue country music, um, in Nashville. <clears throat> and, uh, over the month I was there, it, I just, I just caught every kind of sign I needed to know that that is not my space. It's not my place anymore, even though it once was, um, because that's not where my happiness is. Interesting. And I, and I have prioritized my happiness over any kind of career success song, uh, anything um because i realized that it's fleeting and that it's really hard to wrangle and when you have it hold on to it um and if you know the things that make you happy lean into them and um so you know i just 
I, I've realized that living in Los Angeles is inspiring to me. Um, my community is inspiring to me. I feel loved and supported and encouraged here. And um, I don't feel that way in Tennessee. I uh, I have people there, but Pockets. in terms of my day to day, it's not something that like pervades my you know my world down there. But it is here, and so I'm just a very different version of myself. Um, here at home versus in Nashville. And, uh, I like myself better here. I'm happier here. And I think that's, I think it's, it was an important thing for me at 36 to realize about myself. Um, because I think that once you're, once you've kind of made, you know, once that has kind of cleared up, um, then, then you can kind of settle into it and then, you know, figure out how to make it work where you are. And that's kind of where I am with, you know, my personal life, with my, uh, professional life. Um, I'm here in LA. I'm happy to be here. I want to be here. Um, and I'm going to figure out how to make it work, um, where I'm inspired to work. I think that's awesome. But you know, when I read that quote, I was a little struck by it because he's been so successful there. Uh, and that even yeah, he yeah. feels, did you, did, do you get it? No, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because it, I think that, I think that it is that thing. It's like at the end of the day, the success is great. But if, if like, you don't feel comfortable in your space and you're not happy, then what is it? For? Right. If you like don't what, feel like you can be truly who you are. And I, I, yeah, I, I read into that, that he didn't, he felt still a little constrained, even though everyone yeah, had a deal. And yeah. Well, yeah. And I felt that way, even being back there in, in Nash in November, yeah. where it was like, it's Nashville's come a long way, but I still felt uncomfortable in spaces Interesting. and I don't feel that way here. Yeah. Um, and so I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Um, and, uh, yeah. There's another song yeah. that you wrote called, uh, Did You Settle Down Too Soon? Is that the title or just one of the lyrics? That might be the full title. It's the title. Um, that struck me and resonated with some things I've been thinking about lately. But why don't you describe a little bit what that song is, and then I'm going to float an idea by you. Well, I, you know, I wrote this song um, about this person in my life, uh, and they call me sometimes to catch up, and... Um, I see it as, you know, getting material. <laughs> right. You're like, hold on, let me get my notebook. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we grew up together and I, our lives are just very, very different now. And there, I, uh, there were times, there are times when I feel like, um, the pressures of, you know, f- doing what we're supposed to do, right. right as, um, you know, you know, as members of our family or community or whatever, um, they, they got chosen over, you know, passions and, and, you know, what we might, you know, want more sincerely, um, than maybe what the people around us want for us. And, uh, anyway, I, I feel like a lot of people know somebody like that. I definitely do. Right. I handful of them. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't pave anyone's path for them. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone makes their own decisions in life, but I, I do, it makes me sad sometimes. Um, and, uh, yeah, because running after the things that you are passionate about can be hard, especially when, you know, there's an easier path in front of you that may be, um, right. It takes not courage, exactly what for sure. You, yeah, not exactly what you wanted, but it's, it's more, um, it's, uh, clearer, yeah. I guess. Um, is the person that you're thinking of straight? Yes. Cause yes. I feel like, 
I feel like most of the the queer people I know are like me. You know, they're just kind of more like free spirited. Yeah. Um, or, or not? Maybe that's not the word. There's more like I know. I feel like a lot of people I know are just in the creative lane, and so kind of we're already on that right way to kind of leave our own way. Yeah. Um, there's it's a lot less scripted and you know than a traditional way of life. I guess. Well. There's a podcaster that I follow named Scott Galloway, and he's been talking about a lot about what's going on with men and boys in our culture, especially straight men and boys. Like, they're sort of falling behind, if you look at numbers, in terms of college and graduation rates and things like that, and what's going on there. And one of the articles I read said that um, if you put all the gay men on an island, it would be the most highly educated island in the world. And part of it is we want to be the best little boys and we want to overachieve to compensate. But I think another part of it is straight men have all these masculinity tests that they have to pass. They have to prove that they're athletic or they have to prove this and they have to prove that. And it reminded me of your song in that there was these, once you're gay and you're kind of the sissy kid, which I was, or the cat's out of the bag, it's hard, but you're free. You can be true to yourself now. You don't have to keep ticking these boxes that maybe aren't in your heart. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. And this is something that reminded me of your song. In other words, I feel very sorry for straight men. And I think I should maybe do a talathon or some kind of fundraiser. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I can't tell how successful you'd be, but you can give it a go. But I, you know what? I, I will say I half agree with you. All right. I'm interested. Um, I just find this area I, interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, like, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's a song like that. It's It's very easy to, like, see the differences between, like, people. Right. Um, you know a person that chose a creative route versus someone that chose, you know, a, a wife and kids. Right. Um, but I will say that as a queer person, you know, I have, um, it's, even though I came out, you know, uh, at 22, um, I, because I had been closeted for so long, I think that there are parts of my life that um, are a part of my life because of, a lot of, of being in the closet for so long. Um, and like a good example is, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I love to create like beautiful spaces. Um, I think, you know, I, my apartment is always pretty much, you know, done and clean. And like, I, you know, I, and I have done a lot of thinking about this, about like, are all gay men just like good at this? Right. Like, is this a thing? Right. Um, I don't really think it is. I think there's some psychology to it. Um, whereas like when I was a little kid, you know, I, I knew that if, um, I knew that if my family knew who I really was, you know, how disgusting they would think that would be and how, um, how dirty and, and unclean they just felt like that would be. So I feel like even early on as a young kid, I would do things to, to kind of mask that, to like overcompensate for that. So, creating something that was beautiful because I knew that inside they thought I wasn't and, wow. you know, being something, you know, that was, you know, being, uh, more athletic than maybe I ever really cared to be was, I uh, you know, or ever even more passionate about being was kind of this mask to, to feel like I'm more masculine than maybe I would have been right. if, you know, to be authentically myself from a very, young age um and so those are the things that i i that i, I don't know are true right. but i think about them a lot and i wonder um i just wonder how maybe i would have 
what kind of adult I, I would be now if, if I had been out, you know, at six when I knew I was gay um, and had like a supportive, you know, family and right. uh, had, you know, I had that encouragement growing up to, you know, to honestly be who, you know, who, who I was. Um, and I don't know, uh, but I do think about it a lot. And um, it makes me really excited uh, when I see young, the young, like a younger generation feel comfortable yeah, to come out. kind of mind blowing. I feel like they're, you know, they yeah. get to avoid some things like that. Obviously it's going to come with its own set of issues, but like, I don't know. Um, again, I don't know if it's true or if I'm like shooting from the hip here, yeah. but I do think about it um, a lot. There's actually. a moment in your documentary where you said you were trying to run the gay away. You're like, I'm going to be the most athletic and that'll, that'll, yeah. that'll show them. Um, and there's another moment that was so poignant to me is like you sat with your hands in a certain way and it was, it was on a video or something. And you found out later, oh, that's the gay way to sit. And there was repercussions, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember that, like, oh, you don't carry your books like this. You carry your books like this. And I remember there yeah. was a period of time, like 13, 14, if you went to the movies with a male friend, you had to have a chair between you. You could not sit next to them at the movie because that was gay. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's exhausting to keep those rules for gay people and straight people. I think having to constantly prove you're a man or whatever that is does nobody any favors. And um, yeah. I'm grateful that I – there were certain rites of passage in my town. Like all the boys played Little League. I didn't. All the boys went on Mormon missions. I didn't. All the boys were Eagle Scouts. I wasn't. And it wasn't easy to be that sissy kid, but I think I got to be truer to myself. And I think it served me long term. Anyway, these are things I think about, uh, especially with the, the straight male crisis in our world that is so glaring. And I don't know what, what we're going to do about it. Um, let me uh, ask you about the documentary. I watched it last night. It's been a couple years since it came out. Um, what has the reaction been like to it? Um, you, you, it's a documentary where you go back to your hometown and, and play a show, and you reconnect with your mother, and you talk about your, your, your past experience with your family. What's happened since? Yeah, I mean, well, to answer your first question, the reaction to it has, and I think it was similar to the reaction that a lot of people have had to my music where, you know, they have found themselves in pieces of it. Um, and, you know, it, it has started conversations that aren't, um, don't get like talked about a lot because they're not really easy to talk about. Yeah. And especially for people from the South um, where we don't talk about anything that bothers us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, like you said, it it premiered at Outfest here in 2020, and um, it was definitely the hardest thing I ever had to make, but I'm so glad I did it, um, because I think that it really did um, speak to a bunch of people like me that had had this shared experience, um, and I don't know, I just, like, I felt I have, you know, I felt so alone through that process, and the the truth is, is that you know, I really wasn't, there were so many people going through the exact same thing. And like, I always tell people that I made that documentary for people like me for that purpose, you know, so that people could find that sense of solidarity, but also for people with, um, for families with people like me in them, because the truth is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. No, right. It doesn't. It, 
have, it doesn't have to play out that way. And I think that like, as we interview, you know, I, as I'm interviewed, as we interview the kids from Launchpad, which is, uh, Launchpad Nashville is a, um, charity, uh, a nonprofit that I work with in, in Nashville, um, or that I have supported, um, in Nashville, um, that take in homeless youth. The majority of them happen to be LGBTQ. Um, we interviewed, uh, some of those kids and got their stories. As you, as you watch the interview of my own mother, who has, um, you, you can just feel the tear in her. Yes, it's um, heartbreaking. It's, uh, it is sad. Um, because you, you see a woman that really loves her son, but she, um, she is so, uh, she's so conflicted about loving him, um, because he's queer. And yeah, I, I think that once you, once you see all of the just brokenness that can happen, um, with, you know, from the, uh, you know, someone like me or the kids, you know, the launchpad kids to, you know, parents, um, uh, it just doesn't feel worth it at the end. Um, when all you have to do is love your kids and accept them for who they are, um, everything else will take care of itself. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I made it for that dual purpose. And, uh, I think that it, it found a lot of people it needed to. And I've been, um, uh, I think that was the kind of the, the greatest reward of it all. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really proud of it. Do you hear from people? Yeah, I do. I hear from people a lot. Um, you know, I, uh, it's, it can be a lot to, to, cause the yeah. stories, a lot of similar threads through them. Um, and so, uh, it can feel like a lot, but I hear from people and, and most of their stories are heartbreaking and, um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I do the, the very best I can to kind of, um, give my two cents about, you know, their situation and, and, uh, you know, just kind of, I, I feel like I'm, I always say that like, you know, being gay was the very worst thing that I, you know, uh, that you could be growing up. And it was the thing I was always the most ashamed of. And, um, you know, then I came out and kind of made it to this other side and yeah, I've still got my hiccups here and there, but like, um, my life is so great. My life is, I'm, I'm so happy and thankful for the life that I have been able to cultivate for myself. Um, but it started on a real rocky road. Um, and that's okay. Uh, and it takes some time, but, um, on the other side, it is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. You write a song, uh, and sing it in the documentary called hurt people, hurt people. And it's sort of about how people that have been hurt, pass it on. And there's a verse about your mother and you sang it in front of her. She came to the show. How did you do that? How did you sing that song? Were you just like, I'm just going to pretend I'm, how did you do it? Well, not well, actually. I um, you got through it. I did. I did barely. And, uh, I've never, I've never been so, um, pressed to finish a song before. Um, but it was tough, but yeah, I, you know, I, I've always been very honest about, uh, my experiences through my music and, um, you know, that night was, uh, no exception. I, you know, I felt like, um, it was important. Uh, it was an important thing for me to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was tough, but I'm, uh, I'm glad I did it. Got through it. You're running through it before the show in a different scene and you, and you break down 
And I'm going to share something funny with you, which you may find funny. Maybe you won't. Um, <laughs> we'll we, I was watching. I know. I know. We're on, we're on shaky ground. Um, I'm watching it, and we have the captions on our TV. And when you break down, it just says under the captions, it says Brandon sobbing. And I was like, you know what? That, that would be a, new, a nice name for your next album. I just thought I'd throw uh, that out to you. <laughs> oh my gosh! We have the I captions think... on. It's like Brandon. <laughs> I had a friend here in Los Angeles who I was playing this. This may have been pre-pandemic, right. um, but I was playing a show, a local show, and he was like, "I love you so much. I can't come to another one of your shows. I have no more tears to cry." Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. That thing is funny, but. Um, which is why I had to make a new record, an upbeat record. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, um, I do not want to call my next record. Brandon, Brandon Sobbing, it's not going to happen. I really appreciate. I, I should have taken a picture of it. It just made me laugh because it, it, like the 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 AI or whatever it knows that you're, you knows your Brandon, and clearly you're sobbing. So I'm gonna we're gonna type that. Um, there was something your mother said in your interview, in her interview, in the documentary when. Um, she said he was my sidekick, talking about you as a little boy. And I'm like, of course he was. He's the gay one. The gay ones are the best sidekicks for moms. They are. That's part of the deal. You get both parts. That's why he's the good sidekick. Anyway, thoughts? Oh, no, but it was true. My mom was, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time together because I used to I used to uh, work at Opryland when I was a kid. and was one of those Opryland kids. Um, Was that as fun as it seemed? Right. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Like the it was the best. Step but touching, I mean, pot of parading, parade. I know. Crushes. I, just all, the, all the gay things. <laughs> um, but um, I we lived three hours away, and we drove up there probably three or four days a week. Wow. And I mean, I I grew up one of five, so I had four brothers and sisters that my mother would leave and take me up and down to Nashville all the time. And so we did, we, we, we spent a lot of time together and she was always, you know, she always wanted me to pursue music and, and, you know, um, I've, I've always been very grateful for that because, um, Lord knows if I had kids, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> wow, that's quite just in the car, just riding in the car. Yeah. Yeah. We wow. spent a lot of time. Has, so. has the relationship with your family changed at all since the documentary? Is it in a similar um, place? It is in a similar place. Um, but it's, it was one of those things that I kind of, you know, after the documentary, I, I felt like I, it was what I needed to do to kind of like take a breath and let go a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, because the, the truth is, is like, you know, you can't change anyone and you could spend your entire life trying, but it's just going to feel like running into a wall. And I knew, uh, I knew that I didn't want to live like that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's too much um, happy in me to want to live a life like that. And um, so, yeah, it, it kind of, the documentary kind of served as a, as a breath I needed to take and to step away. And uh, yeah, it's been really good for me. Yeah. And you have nieces and nephews that you don't see very often. You wrote a song about them. It was very poignant. Um, Boy, we're hitting all the hard points. I know. I did my homework. Um, but I related that because I have nieces and nephews too. But I guess what I want to mention yeah. about that is, is younger people aren't as hung up on that stuff. I mean, I can't speak to them. I don't know those kids. But I feel like generationally things are changing. Um, so maybe there's some hope there with the with the future generations in terms of some of the stuff around sexuality and gender. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope, I hope, and we'll see. Um, I, and I think the the thing is, is that like, you know, it's you know, it's not one of those things where you're like, I hope we'll see, and you do nothing. Um, I hope, I say, I hope we'll see, and I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to bridge that gap. Not in terms of like, you know, again, running back into that wall with having these same conversations that never change, but um, you know, doing things like you know, putting out these, you know, uh, putting out this content and like telling my story as authentically as I can so that it, you know, maybe just one person hears it and figures out that it's not worth repeating. And, right. um, you know, and so just like, it's, um, it kind of, it's, it's, it feels like an active letting go a little bit. Yeah. Um, if it makes any sense. Well, you've shown a lot of courage, I think in your journey, like there was one point I remember where conversion therapy was on the table and you were like, no, not for one second. Like you weren't going to do that for a second. Well, I, I think I tell people that I have an old soul. I'm one of those. Um, and so I knew even then at 22 when, when people that I loved were really pushing this on me and wanted me to do it. Um, and, uh, and if you ask them now, they will feign ignorance. Um, but, um, I knew then that it was that I would be worse off going through something like that. Even if I did it, to try to keep them in my world. Right. I knew that it would scar me more just trying to do that to appease them or try to keep them than, you know, um, than, than anything. So I, yeah, I was, I said no, um, pretty emphatically. And, and, uh, then I moved out of Tennessee pretty quickly after that, uh, just to physically separate myself. Cause I thought that was important and I needed that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a real thing. And, I've always been very grateful that something inside me said, um, no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. When you were probably young and under a lot of pressure and probably didn't have a lot yeah. of other options. Um, yeah. Yeah. So your music videos have been played on CMT. How open is that world to, to gay artists? How much is it changing? Is, does it seem to be changing? Is it window dressing? What's going on in that world from your point of view? Well, I think that, like, it's moving in a great direction. I think that there are more and more queer artists that are, you know, uh, pursuing, uh, and, you know, country music, which is exciting because there are a lot of queer people that love country music, um, and love seeing themselves in it. And that's, that's exciting. Um, so I think we're like heading in the right direction. CMT, uh, and Leslie Fram, uh, and Cody Allen over there have been, um, pretty instrumental in like spearheading that movement. You know, they started up, the, you know, first, uh, you know, LGBTQ writers round for CMT, a few, uh, pre pandemic, um, that I was a part of that they still do, uh, CMA Fest had their first all LGBTQ stage as a part of the official, uh, uh, festival this past year. Um, so there's a lot of like really incredible things that's happening that are happening in this space. Um, and, uh, it's, it's very different than when I started making music in 2015. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're heading in a good direction there. I like that. All right. I'm going to throw some questions at you from the observation deck that of mine. Come on. Have you ever been starstruck? Uh, uh, that, you know what? I want to yes. But actually, yes, I have. The most starstruck I've ever been is I was playing a, I was playing my, uh, a release, my album release show out here in 2017. And I got off the stage and a friend of mine, pulled me aside and said, someone wants to say hi to you. Um, 
and pulled me to the side stage and Halle Berry was there and she said how much uh, my music touched her. <laughs> Halle Berry's a fan. That's amazing. She came to your show. It was incredible. And um, yeah, and like, so, I mean, she was just like there in like a sweatshirt and her hair pulled up and like, it was just, I was, she's not, she was not on my like bingo card of people that I thought I would ever meet or have an interaction with. So it was pretty incredible. That's wild. Um, back to Opryland. When I was a, a younger, I was a music count- counselor, but I wasn't out. But I had a crush on another guy. So it was all that intrigue of like, I have crushes, but I can't say it. But he's not get, like, it must have been like that, right? Like all of these hormones raging and not knowing what to do with them. Well, I was six. So you were six when you started <laughs> Opryland. A little early for that. How long did you do it? Did you do it into your teenage uh, years or were you a kid? I, I, I went from the time that I was six until I was about 13. Oh, okay. Too young. Still not. You weren't teenage raging hormones. Uh, not not got yeah. me like got uh it was like right on the cusp so but no. you were making your own money at like six i was. I know my mom was taking it <laughs> <laughs> where would you go through the drive-thru on your drives to opryland and back oh white castle really? you know did you ever go to white castle no, but uh, you're the second interview in like two weeks where somebody brought that up yeah so Always White Castle. I don't know. I I don't even know if the White Castle still exists. I'm sure but, it does, yeah. but it's not a West Coast oh, thing. Um, I love no, it. Um, All right, Halle Berry, that's a good one. Who was your most impactful teacher? What teacher made the biggest difference on you, positive or negative? Hmm, that's a great. Oh, so I had a I had a professor. I had a couple of professors in high school, um, but I'll tell you about one. He was a history professor of mine, and we had to do this. Um, we had to do this uh, thing every week where we uh, basically had to keep like a journal and we had to read something in the news and like journal about it. And it didn't have to be about like, you just had to write about your thoughts about it. And um, anyway, I read this article. This was, this is kind of a, um, anyway, it was during the Abu Ghraib prison sort of right. uh, fiasco. And I remember reading about the um, the guy who kind of like, brought everything out to light and they like went and interviewed the people from his hometown and they, no one had any great things to say about him. And so people were shocked that he did this great thing by exposing the stuff that was happening um, to these prisoners of war. And then they went to one of the women in the pictures that were like doing the torturing and everyone, I know this is like, not like in (laughs) the lane of story we were kind of, no, it's interesting, but they were they were interviewing people that she grew up with and like everyone had only nice things to say about right. her um and i remember you know my professor uh kind of reading what i had written and he said you know it's it's always interesting in things like this is that uh you never really know how you're going to respond in a situation until you're in it yeah and um and uh i, I don't know that always stuck with me and and he he, I remember him kind of reading through notes and things, and uh, he told me that he said, "I, I'm, I'm always like, I'm. You don't always write the best things, but I, I'm at least inspired to see that you can always find interest in things that you may or may not be interested in initially." And I just love that. I don't know. It just always really stuck to me those two things that this man said to me, um, because like. I feel like there are a lot of things that come across to my desk that maybe is just like on his face. That like, I'm like, I don't really care about that. But it's like, he 
peel one little layer off of it and you find some facet of it that is actually interesting to you and that you can like dive into. And I just like, the world's a really big place full of a lot of different people and different things. And it's just like, it feels exciting to like, not just like completely dismiss something or someone because maybe they don't like immediately appeal to you, but like just one little layer off and then suddenly it becomes something brand new. That's something that can really light you up. And that's exciting to me. I love it. What was the name of the teacher? Bill Cushman. All right. Shout out to Mr. Cushman. Opened your mind up a little bit. Here's a question you may or may not have an answer for. Um, Memorable limousine story. No, I don't have a good man. Have a good answer for you. Yeah. So, Pat, you didn't take a limo to Trisha Yearwood's uh, lunch luncheon. <laughs> I like that you had luncheon with the Garth Brooks, uh, the Brooks Yearwoods. I, I know, um, I know. Wild story. Um, but uh, yeah, no good limousine story. We arrived in a fifteen-passenger van. So, right on. There you go. Favorite Taylor Swift song. Um, I'll, I'll um, go first. Cruel Summer. I love Cruel cool. Summer off the Lover album. I have dreams of being an exotic Magic Mike type dancer and creating a number to that song. For some reason, I find it very sexy. Um, it's about a torrid like, affair that happens, maybe. Um, and I just love the vibe. I feel like I had to say Teardrops to my guitar because that was my song, right? Like, I was Drew. Um, oh. And she wrote me this letter once, and she was like, I want you to know you're hotter than the real Drew. <laughs> That's amazing. So she sang that to you on tour. That was like kind of one of the bits that you did. And she wrote, yeah. uh, Great. And she um, wrote you a letter saying, you were hotter than the real Drew. No, isn't that fun? A little keepsake. Um, but anyway, yeah, no. So that'll be my first, that'll be my favorite of hers. I love it. Well, you hadn't started writing songs yet when you were back then. You were years away from that. But was there something about her as a songwriter that inspired you? even today oh sure yeah yeah oh of course i mean she's she is the best i mean no one does it like she does and i think anyone would tell you that um and um yeah i i think that i was always inspired by just how much her fans connected with the way that she wrote and i i i've always strived to like hit that mark you know i want people to be able to see themselves in in the music that i write so um, and she does it better than anybody. Yeah, very personal as well. You have very striking eyes, and you're commented on in the documentary that, that people tell you you have your mother's eyes. And I think that's interesting, given your story. I still have, a, you know, um, a pretty good relationship with my mother. We we still talk and um, see each other. That's good. Um, so when I, when I, when people say anything about... Um, my eyes, they, I always say they're my mama's. Um, and, um, yeah, it's like a little, I don't know. It's a sweet it's, thing. Uh, it's a sweet thing. It is a sweet thing. I love that. It is a sweet thing. Um, you are into CrossFit. I, I did am. it, uh, for a couple of years before the pandemic. I need to get back into it. Here's what I liked about it. It was a nightmare and then it was over. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you hit nail head. Right? It's a nightmare but it's over pretty quick. Um, yeah. What do you like about it? Oh, I love the community aspect of probably more than anything. I know that's my cliche, but I really do. I love uh, the people and I, um, I, this is like the CrossFit community here in Los Angeles has been kind of where all of my friend groups started. Um, and then I also just love doing like really gritty shit next to other people um, who are just like willing to like, 
do and push themselves um, in, in kind of extreme ways. Um, I find that really inspiring and, and exciting. So um, yeah, I, I really, I really love the sport. Um, and I love that they call the gyms boxes. Yeah. Like I'm going to go get a new box. There's a box down around. There's a new box opening up down the corner. I love that. I love that turn of phrase. What's something that you never thought you'd be able to do physically, but now you can do when you started. Um, so I was into Olympic lifting and, you know, CrossFit, that's one of kind of like three pillars of it. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I never saw myself as an Olympic lifter and now I am. So there it is. All right. Let's remind people you're performing at the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles on April 6th, right? What time is that? April 6th, the show's at 8. Um, it's in it's on their second stage, so it's a small space, so um, not a lot of tickets to sell. So if you're in the area, uh, yeah, get your tickets in now, and then we'll see you in a couple weeks. Right on. And you're going to rock. Are you going to be at the merch table to sign stuff? Hell yeah. That's part of the of thing. What's your coolest merch I'm going to be hot. I'm going to be hawking everything I got. It's part of the game. That's where it is. <laughs> What's your most inspired um, merch item? So I just posted this thing uh, on my Instagram story a little while ago because I came out of my apartment this morning and my neighbor and I share a landing and we walked out of our doors at the same time and she was wearing my merch. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. She probably wants to ride to the airport now. It was, it was just a coincidence. <laughs> it was just a coincidence, but we printed these, um, these like cotton candy tie dye sweatshirts with the album art, um, from, for this must be place. Um, and those, uh, everyone that has one says like one of their favorite things. And I love it too. Um, it's just like a, uh, it's just a fun piece. So yeah, but that was funny this morning. I was like, Hey, that's my face. <laughs> I love it. You also did some vinyl, which is cool. You did vinyl. Yeah. That's old school. We did that. Like it. I we like printed, it. We printed vinyl for this record and um, it turned out great. So yeah, I was really excited. It's my first vinyl. So that's really exciting. And hats off to your design. I like the eighties retro thing. I like the, the uh, acid wash that's happening. You're bringing that back a little bit. You, thank yeah. you. I, I designed the record myself. So thank you. It looks really good. I'm into it. Um, and you're also on Instagram. People can follow you there. Uh, anything else you want to plug yeah. before we do our final question? No, I'm ready for this final question. Hit me. I know. I'm ready to be done with this. All right, here it is. No. <laughs> um, why do you write songs? Because it is the thing, and I've told people this uh, a lot, um, when trying to figure out, you know, what is it that, like, makes you happy? There is no feeling like finishing a song. There's nothing like it. I am never happier than when I just finished writing something because there exists inside of me these ideas, these feelings about this experience or the next or whatever, and they can be complicated and they can be confusing and it can feel almost out of control. And yet somehow after a session, you've been able to like bring that into something that lasts three minutes and that is concise and powerful and speaks in ways that you didn't think you could and that is a crazy wonderful feeling and um that's why i write music i love it uh, one of the reasons i write uh is because it helps me make sense of the world and it sounds like you have a similar thing once you create a song out of it it sort of makes sense of it in a way yeah, yeah world. I like that. I relate to it a lot. This has been so fun, Brandon. I'm excited to see your show. I'm inspired by your music. Thank you for uh, doing the interview and taking my crazy questions. And um, of course, 
I look forward to meeting you in person on the 6th. Yeah, you do. So excited to see you in person. And thank you again. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Brandon Stansel. Follow him on Instagram at Brandon Stansel and hopefully catch his show at the Hotel Cafe. If you're in L.A. on April 6th, I will be there. All right, so this happened. Um, I went to The Price is Right with a friend of mine. I mentioned that I was going to do that in a previous podcast. And I it's my second time going. And I went once before the pandemic. And so now the audience situation is different. They have little pods of people, like little groups of three and four. So the audience is much smaller. Your odds of getting on stage are much higher. Um, I cannot tell you what happened. Uh, I did not get on stage, but I cannot tell you more about that. Um, But it was less loud and crazy than the first time I went. The first time I went, I was like... I would choke on the show because I can't hear what they're saying. I'd be like, seven. I don't know. Uh, But this was uh, more manageable in terms of the audio levels. But my favorite game is called Ten Chances. It's the one where you are given a marker and you have ten chances to write these prizes down on these little white squares that move across the board. And there'll be like a price with two letters in it. And there'll be three letters to choose from. And you have to write down the price from those three letters. And I always watched the show and I thought, this game would be easier to win because it's it's always going to end in a zero or a five. It's always going to be a price that makes sense. It's not going to be $74. It's going to be $70 or, you know, $75 or something like that. Like, I from watching it, I knew that the price has always sort of made sense. It's not going to be some random number. That's like 27. No, it's going to be 30 or whatever. So... The, that game came up, and the contestant did not win. <clears throat> but during the commercial, Drew said, you know, there's a secret to that game. Drew Carey. He goes, there's a secret to that game. Um, and he said uh, that the price is always in zero. And I was like, ooh. I, I knew they ended logically, but I thought five might have been an option or like $79 because you often see prices with nine. Um, but zero. He goes, that's quite why it's called 10 chances, like the, the digit of 10, zero. Like, interesting. So there's a little tidbit. If you're ever on that show and happen to get that pricing game, I was like, hmm, it's even more obvious than I thought. Intriguing. So anyway, I may go back. Who knows? Maybe I'll get to go back and, uh, and, and employ that little tidbit. I want to spin that big wheel, though. That's the dream. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.